Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Grow With Tim podcast. I'm your host, Tim Joyner. JDU has the week off. We've got something a little different for you on this week's show. My friend Jonathan Peoples, who's a fractional executive and the host of Success in South Carolina podcast, turned the tables on me and interviewed me for his show. We had a great conversation, trading stories about negotiation and sales tips. We talked about how to evade kidnapping and some other crazy stuff. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do, too. Here we go. Our guest today lives in Greenville, South Carolina. He's a growth-focused entrepreneur, an investor, a coach, a speaker, and a fractional executive. He got his start in business mowing lawns with a push mower while he was a teenager. Now he owns several successful businesses, helps guide and lead many others, and stars in my second favorite podcast. I'm excited to hear from our guest and share his wisdom with our listeners. Welcome to the show, my new friend, Tim Joyner. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad yeah, to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. Now, you came to the Upstate for college, Tim. I did. What made you stick? I did. Well, I I came with no thought of sticking, actually. Uh, never crossed my mind, but I found out that Greenville was a pretty good place to live. And before I knew it, I had business ventures, I had clients, I had a good church, I had friends, and just decided that there was no good reason to leave. And, you know, close to, I don't know what, almost 20 years later, here I am still in Greenville. Were you from originally? I'm from the Midwest. I was uh, kind of the cornfields of Illinois, west of Chicago, 100 miles. Do you feel like it's just anything was better than that, or do you feel like you really have grown to, to love Well, Because you're still here after many years, too. So in retrospect, I mean, maybe anything is better than that. Like, it's definitely, a di- compared to Greenville, it's dying. There's not much a- economic life there. Yeah. Um, but I liked it growing up. Like, that was all I knew, and that was friends and family and home for me. And so it wasn't like I was trying to get away or trying to escape. Yeah. Um, but, but now with the, you know, the, the 2020 hindsight that I have, yeah, Greenville is a lot better place to grow a business than, than the cornfields of Illinois for sure. Right. Right. What do you think are some of the things that makes Greenville so great to, uh, to grow your business? I think, uh, boy, Greenville has a lot to offer. I think we've been the beneficiaries of good leadership for a long, long time. Um, in, in government, in business, um, community leaders, like we have really been the beneficiaries of some really great people that have had the vision and the tenacity, um, the hard work, the political connections, all of that to really make, but I mean, we have good weather, we have good natural resources, we've got the beautiful Falls Park right downtown Greenville, and there's a lot going for Greenville, and and a lot of good education, right, there are multiple schools that are in and around Greenville, so got all the raw ingredients for a great place to live and work and grow business. Right. And if you're talking about business too, we've also got the, the inland port now we've got, right. we're, we're almost exactly halfway between Atlanta and Charlotte. Yep. And a great airport. I like yeah. lots of good things. Yeah. You, you can get where you need to go in 15, 20 minutes and it's not horrible traffic. Yeah. I just love Greenville. Yeah. There's, and there's so much food scene. There's so much, one of the best top 10 downtowns in America, right? Yeah, I talk to people, I mean, I travel a good bit, and I talk to people all over, and I'm frequently telling them about Greenville, and it used to be that nobody had heard of Greenville, and now they're like, oh yeah, I read an article about that or something, and I'm like, well, you need to come visit. Right, right, right. Well, listen, guys, you've got to check uh, Tim out on his social media. He's on all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, TikTok, I don't know that yet. I don't have to figure that out now. I'm a publisher on TikTok. I'm not really a consumer, but I do publish there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of my favorite posts are your little nuggets, your little sales hacks, uh, sometimes the the little simple word change that are very powerful. Will you share some of those hacks with us real quick? Oh, man. Yeah, lots of hacks. I I love learning things like that, but more than just learning, then I love to put them in practice and like test them out and make them part of me. And so I've got 
20 or 30 years of, of experimentation with those. But yeah, lots of little word changes that will make such a difference. I remember hearing Ramit Sethi a long time ago. I don't know if you've, he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's one of the early podcasters and, and sort of digital growth people. Um, but he would test out on airplanes. He'd, he would introduce himself as a writer. And then the next flight, he would introduce himself as, a, as an author. And he got wildly different reactions. It seemed a writer, an author, but a write, everybody's a stri- struggling writer, right? And people would be like, oh, yeah, that's nice. But when he would say he was an author, they're like, really? What have you written? And it was just a complete. And that was really caught my attention 15 or 20 years ago when I remember him saying that. And since then, I've tested all kinds of little things like that. But recently, I read a study about uh, the, the power of because. So this is actually an old study from... I forget if it was Harvard or MIT, one of these schools where they did a study back in the days of copy machines. There was a copier, and there'd be a line of students always at this particular copy machine. And so they sent in somebody to to basically cut their way in line. Yeah. And in the control group, they would just say, excuse me, um, uh, may I use the copier? And it was astonishing. I don't have the stat in front of me, but it was like 60% of them were successful or something like that. I don't know. Wow. And Just maybe people were nicer back in those days. I, don't, <laughs> I feel like now you get some glares and middle fingers and whatever. Yeah. But anyway, a lot of people would say yes. But then they went back and they said, uh, excuse me, may I use the copier because I have to make copies? That doesn't even make any sense. Because Of, of course, because you have to make copies, right? right? But the introduction of the word because shot up the success rate to like 91%. Just simply putting that one word in there. Just, just saying because I have to make copies. Following that. And then they tried uh, something that was more sensible, like because I'm in a rush, and it made like one percent more different, you know, ninety-one to ninety-two percent or something like that. Yeah. So it's interesting how it's almost hypnotic the the word because, and I, I so I've been able to use things like that in negotiation, and you know, when you're trying to convince somebody to do something, hopefully using it for good and not for manipulative, self-serving purposes. Sure, but sure. One of the one of the studies that I referenced in a recent podcast was uh, Gong.io. Gong, really interesting organization. They analyze uh, all kinds of like hundreds or thousands of sales conversations, and they use artificial intelligence to analyze all of these phone calls and different interactions and proposals and stuff. And they they try to identify patterns, what works and what doesn't work, and what results in a higher sales price and so on. So they talked recently about the difference between approved price and list price. If I say the list price is X, Y, Z, then you know right away that that's a starting point for negotiation. Right. But if I say the approved price is X, Y, Z, you feel like, well, some uh, third party has approved this price and it can't be messed with. And right. actually, I've got a much better chance of defending that initial price if I call it an approved price instead of a list price. And I, there's all kinds of little things like that that I find interesting. We could probably fill the whole podcast with those, but words matter, yeah. and little tiny tweaks can often make massive differences. Yeah, I've found that I can get into almost anywhere, and it's crazy as long as I say I'm authorized. Yeah, <laughs> right. The person, the person working security or working the gate or working wherever, I got into Wrigley's Cub Field. Just walk straight in. Hey, sorry, you can't. Don't worry, I'm authorized. And they just let you on through. Yeah, just right in. Yeah, interesting. Uh, either that or like bringing a clipboard or I, I saw, like if you can bring a ladder with you. you yeah, know, right, you, you get, get it anyway. I've heard that, yeah. A ladder or a clipboard. Um, I, I've got a group of um, entrepreneurs that I meet with regularly called M3. And we uh, we meet for a mastermind once a month in, in the metaverse, actually. It's kind of interesting. We all wear VR headsets and meet in this virtual conference room. It's, it's a so cool experience. So you guys experience. are keeping the metaverse alive then. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, us and uh, us and Zuckerberg, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, 
one of the things that they do in real life, we do in real life, is about once a quarter we'll have an event of some kind, and one of them is like a classic mastermind where we're in person. One of them is like an adrenaline network, adrenaline fueled networking event. And so back in February of this year, we went out to Las Vegas and we raced exotic supercars and we jumped rally trucks in the desert and we flew helicopters and shot machine guns out of them and we did like dog fighting in the air with laser like laser tag in the sky but where we actually piloted our own planes we had a, a real pilot in the back seat and we were in the front and anyway one of the things that this group in the did, metaverse no 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 this was all real life what this was all real okay life. okay it, and this whole time i'm imagining all this no no, no no that was all real life but one of the things that they did was a uh, like a kidnapping escape simulation and okay. so they went to an undisclosed location and there was a team of people that do this professionally that were trying to basically kidnap them and they had to evade capture and so we learned all these skills and then how to escape once you're captured so how do you get out of handcuffs how do you get out of duct taped hands and being fun. tied up and all this stuff is really phenomenal. One of the takeaways from this was that if you ever need to, you know, get away from somebody wearing a construction vest or a hard hat or carrying a ladder, you can get into anywhere that other people can't get into. And so yeah. like they'd get into the, the, the underground maintenance tunnels under a shopping mall or whatever, just yeah. by carrying a ladder and nobody, nobody asks. So yeah. Anyway, we're, we're uh, chasing rabbits now, but no, it's I love it. So these little tips, it's, I, I don't know if I'm kind of on the fence about the word hack. Yeah. Right. Some, sometimes I love it. Sometimes yeah. I hate it. Yeah. But at the same time, I love these just small little nuggets that uh, it may seem super simple. And once you think about them, but words really do matter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Words, mindsets, approaches. I mean, I think one of the one of the most valuable things that I ever learned in a sales situation was how to how to defend my price. I can remember with great clarity the first time I used this because I was really scared to use it. I, I had always competed on price up until this point. This was 15 or 20 years ago. And I was building websites and I had given a proposal to this customer, this prospective customer that I really wanted. It was a big customer. It was a big project for me. I really needed to get it. And I'd given him a price and he came back and called me up and said, you know, I love the proposal, but our budget is only whatever it was, it was like $1,000 less than what I quoted him. Uh, can you do it for that? And I took a deep breath. I can visual, I know where I was. I was walking around in the parking lot outside my office, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I said, absolutely, Mr. Client, be happy to do it for that. What we have to do is go through the proposal and just identify which elements are least important to you so that we can trim that up to get it down to what your budget is. And then I was just quiet. Didn't say anything. And he said, uh, well, actually, we love everything just the way it is. I, there's not really anything I want to get it, so we'll we'll go ahead and do it at your price. And I remember pumping my fist at, like it was in a video call. You yeah. know, he could, and I was so excited, like I'd actually just created a thousand dollars of additional wealth out of thin air. I felt like because in the past I would have just you know acquiesced and said, yeah, sure, right. we'll do it for your price. Uh, anyway, I've been able to experiment with those kinds of things again and again. But those little hacks, tips, tricks, whatever you want to call them can be really useful. And over a lifetime, if you keep collecting them and putting them to use, you, you, uh, you come out to some advantage. You get the adrenaline rush, but at the same time, you probably almost feel sick at your stomach because what you just did, but you, so you just got to hush. Yeah. But it, but it, the thing was, it wasn't like I was being unethical Not or I was all. like, I, I, what I was going to build was worth that. I was right. creating real value and he was just doing, I mean, he wasn't doing anything wrong either. He was just being a good fiduciary for his yeah. company, trying to get it at a better price. But I had, I felt this obligation to say yes, like to be nice to him, but I really had no obligation. Right. I had an obligation to feed my own family and to, right. you know, make a profit for my own company. 
And it it just took some practice and a mindset shift to be able to to defend my price like that. And I have never looked back. Negotiation skills, I feel like, are one of the most important skills that every single person in this world should probably learn how to develop. Because like you said, you just created a thousand dollars profit in thin air. Yeah. A 10 second conversation or a 30 yeah. second conversation, thousand bucks. Yeah. You'll never get paid a thousand bucks for 30 yeah. seconds ever yeah. again. Yeah. yeah. Right. And My, yeah, exactly. I, I've had the privilege to work pretty closely with two different people that were trained by Harvard's negotiation school. They've got a great negotiation program and I've seen both of these guys negotiate really big deals. And, and I'll tell you, I've with one of them I've negotiated with and against yeah. and it's a whole lot more fun negotiating with them than against them yeah. right but but literally I remember one conversation with one of these guys where he went in and negotiated on my behalf a $20,000 he he made $20,000 out of thin air in a 30 minute meeting yeah that I did not expect to get I didn't think there was any way that we were going to get this and we literally walked out of that conference room with a $20,000 check that I didn't expect to get and and, and it, it was, again, it was fair. It wasn't like I was trying to take advantage of these people, but it was kind of a gray area where they had sort of taken advantage of me because I didn't have a good contract. I right. did, this was a long time ago, and I yeah. didn't set good expectations. And, and, and they really owed it to us, but there was no way that we could have sued them and won, right? right? I, they didn't have to pay it, even right. though ethically they should have. Right. And he went to bat for me, and... In a 30-minute meeting, he got a check for 20 grand that I would have never had any hope of getting. It was amazing. Anyway, that's another story for another day. Yeah. I love the book, uh, Never Split the Difference. Yeah. Chris Foss. What, what about, what other books do you feel like are great for people in that area? So that book is great. I actually was on a podcast with Chris Foss just uh, a month or so ago, yeah. and his son um, is in a strategic coach 10 X group with me. So I see his son once a quarter. Okay. And, uh, anyway, Chris Voss, great guy, great book. If you haven't read it, you ought to other books about negotiation. That's a good question. I've read so many books about sales and about persuasion and about how people think. I think probably the ones that have been most beneficial to me haven't been about negotiation per se, but about ancillary, like, like the psychology of how people make decisions. So books like Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, and Daniel Kahneman, I think, is the author of that one. One of the most interesting ones is Dan Ariely's book, Predictably Irrational. I don't know if you've read that one. No. He basically says that everybody is irrational, but they behave in predictably irrational ways. And so if you can predict how they're going to behave irrationally, you know, you can get a lot more more done and and reach more favorable outcomes. But he talks about how people... So... Interesting story from that book. He sent out grad students. I think it was on Stanford's campus, if I remember right. He sent out grad students to sell subscriptions to The Economist magazine. And back then, you could buy, I guess you still can get The Economist three different ways. You can buy just the print edition, you can buy just the digital edition, or you can buy print and digital together, right? And so the first group went out with a little flyer that had all three options, Number one was digital, and don't quote me on the numbers, but let's say that it was 59 bucks for the digital. Number two was uh, just print, and print was, you know, maybe $79. So 59 for the digital, 79 for the print, or you could get print and digital together for $79. In other words, no extra cost. You could choose option three and get both of them together, right? Hmm. And so 30% of the respondents in this first group 30% of them chose the cheap option, the digital only. Yeah. 70% of them chose the expensive option that got both, 
nobody chose the middle option, which was just the print edition for 79 bucks because same price, you get print and digital, right? right. But, but the point is that 70% chose the expensive option. They got print and digital. Nobody chose the middle option. So now we send out a second group of grads, same grad students, but, but a second form. Mm-hmm. And instead of offering three options, we only have two. We have the first one, digital only, which yeah. is 59 bucks. We have digital and print for 79 bucks. Right. These are the only options that people picked in the first group. So it seemingly the, the middle one had no function. We get rid of it. It shouldn't change anything, right? Except that it does. It's an exact flip. Now 70% choose the cheap option. Right. 30% choose the expensive option. Yeah. Exact same options. The only difference is there was a missing anchor in the middle that sort of established value that said, hey, this print edition is really worth a lot. And 79 plus 59, but I can still get it for 79. And and so that's one way that he just won out of dozens and dozens of stories in this book, like how people behave irrationally. It's irrational to to the the option that nobody's going to choose. It shouldn't influence you, but it does. And so if you're in sales, you think about things like anchoring and how do you, and which one do you present first and all those kinds of things all make a difference. So anyway, I think you ask about negotiation books, books like that, that have given me kind of the raw ingredients. Now I can mix and match and develop my sales strategy based on all these little things that I know about psychology. I feel like we're going to jump into a lot of different topics. Before we do that, I want to lay some framework, lay some foundation. How does Tim Joyner define success? Hmm. How do I define success? Uh, interesting question. So I don't know that I have a really well-defined, like neat little package of how I define success, but I can tell you that it absolutely must involve growth. So for me, you know, somebody asked one time if I was satisfied with my success or if I was content. And I said, absolutely. I'm, I'm incredibly satisfied with where I am today. And if I'm still here tomorrow, I won't be satisfied. Right. right. So I'm always hungry to get better. Yeah. And yet I'm thankful for where I am. Right. So I try to hold both of those in tension. Um, so success for me involves continuous growth, which means not just more money, but but more impact, more influence, better relationships, a better work life balance. Like I always want my tomorrow to be better than my yesterday. And for me, as long as I'm getting better, that's probably success. I think one of the dangers of some arbitrary success marker like well i'll be successful when i have 10 million dollars in the bank or i'll be successful when i'm employing 100 people or i'll whatever is that then you reach it and you're like well what now right that's why lots and lots of business owners a crazy high statistic um within two years of selling their business or retiring a whole bunch of them are dead because like they've worked they've always had something to live for something to work for some bigger tomorrow that they were dreaming about and after they sell, they're like, well, now what? What do Isn't I do with myself? that a biblical principle where there is no vision? The people perish. perish. That's right. Absolutely. So anyway, I don't like to define like a some sort of a threshold where that's success. But I think for me, success has to be improving in all areas of my life. So I want to be healthy. Um, I want to have good relationships. I want to have a good walk with God. I want to have more money tomorrow than I did yesterday, more influence more freedom, like there are lots of elements, but as long as I'm getting better, I'm pretty happy. So then a follow-up question. I feel like that the journey to success has its peaks and its valleys. How do you still feel successful when you're on the downside of that 
curve. Yeah. Right. Because if it's always about growth, but right now I'm not growing. I'm I'm less healthy today than I was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. But I'm still I've still got this hunger in me. I'm still trying. But sometimes it's not even up to you. Sometimes yeah. you make a bad business deal or whatever it might be, and your finances are worse today than they were yesterday. Yeah. So Dan Sullivan says, always be on the winning team or the learning team. And I love that quote. I say it a little different way. I say failure isn't failure unless you fail to learn from it. Mm. And, and that's not just like a mental gymnastics, you know, to make myself feel better. I legitimately believe that, that even if I screwed up royally, as long as I learned something from it, I said, okay, I know something that I didn't know before. I know how to not to do that again, or I know what's going to work better next time. Then that's a win. And it may not be the win I was looking for, the win that I wanted, but even if I, you know, my weight went in the wrong direction or my running time went in the wrong way, or I, you know, screwed up and made a mistake in that speech or we lost money last quarter or whatever, as long as I can say, okay, I know something now that I didn't know before, that can still be progress for me. And I know that that's going to be the raw material, the fuel for even greater success next quarter. So I don't let that set me back too much. Yeah. I feel like so many people nowadays fear failure. Yeah. And in schools, we're taught that an F is bad. That's right. If you fail, it is bad. Yeah. Uh, Whereas true success, it's almost the opposite. You have to embrace failure because it's going to be part of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. You have to try new things. And the problem with that mindset of where you're afraid of failure is the more successful you get, the more afraid you are to try new things because now you've got more to risk, right? Now I've got a reputation. I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm not supposed to screw up. I'm not supposed to look stupid um, because I'm this successful entrepreneur or business person. But if you, that's a recipe for plateauing or even declining. If you want to keep growing, you've got to take new risks. You've got to try new things. And sometimes that's going to result in a screw up. You got to be okay with that. Right. That's super powerful because I feel like a lot of people do reach those plateaus in their life. Yeah. Almost everybody does. Almost everybody. And I mean, I have to fight against that because I, I can be pretty comfortable. Like Sometimes our know? ego gets in the way right? because we've accomplished success and because other people view us as successful. And if we fall back down into the masses again, wow, what am I going to do? So I can't take this risk because of what where I might fall yeah. to. I was thinking recently, I read a book about artificial intelligence, and it was interesting how machine learning works. And I won't get too far in the weeds here, but in short, machine learning tries a bun it simulates a million different ways of doing something and it figures out which one works so if you're trying to teach a computer how to play chess basically the computer just plays millions of games and it says oh when i do this i win and when i do this i don't win and it and it it quote unquote loses lots of games but eventually it masters the game yeah the problem is with people is that the first or second time we lose we're like oh that, never mind i don't good. want that i don't feel good and we don't have enough reps to actually win and figure it out. I think that way about starting businesses, like most people, if they start a business at all, they start one or maybe two, but man, how many things are you good at the first time you do it? So I figured out, you know, I started my first business as a teenager and I want to, I want to start and, and not, not start and like fail, but start and sell dozens or hundreds of businesses over the course of my lifetime because I think number 100 is going to be a whole lot better than number 50 and 50 is going to be a lot better than number 10 and so on um, because you get better with practice. So, sure. yeah. So maybe this goes hand in hand with that. If you had one piece of advice to hand off mm-hmm. to the to the listeners, what is Tim's secret mm. to success? I think I think there are lots of things that I could come up with 
but putting me on the spot for number one, I think I would say prepare for opportunity before you have it. So, so often people wait until they have an opportunity and, and then they're like, oh, now, okay, now I'm going to start preparing for that. And by the time they're done preparing, the opportunity is gone. So I would say the kinds of preparation that you can do, right? You can save money, set aside money, because usually, not always, but usually opportunity requires some kind of investment. Right. So if you, if you want to buy, I don't know, let's just say you want to get into real estate, right? You're going to buy a duplex. Well, you're going to have to have some money to put down on that, even if you borrow most of it. And if you wait until you find the duplex to start borrowing money, it's not going to work. That's kind of obvious. Right. But there are other ways, saving money, building up your credit score, because maybe you're going to have to borrow to do this. Building relationships with people where you invite them to lunch, and by the way, you buy their lunch and buy their coffee and, and create goodwill and ask them for advice, ask them about their career and what you have no idea how you're going to use that advice that you get. You don't know if you're ever going to need that friendship or relationship but you're investing in the future. You're preparing for opportunity, and someday an opportunity is going to come up. And oh, guess what? That guy you had lunch with six months ago is the exact person you need to help you take advantage of this opportunity. But you can't wait until six months later to call him and try to get on his schedule, right? So you're investing in relationships. You're acquiring knowledge. You're getting better. You join Toastmasters and become better at public speaking. Even though public speaking has nothing to do with your current job, you know that lots of successful people speak well. So go invest in Toastmasters. Go invest in your ability to get better at writing. Figure, build some capabilities, even when you're not sure how you're going to use them. And then when opportunity shows up, you're ready to seize it. So I think that would be my number one piece is prepare for opportunity before you have it. And I like how I think I've heard the definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I like that. People go through life saying, man, that guy's lucky. Well, he was prepared. Yeah. Right. Yeah, or he was an overnight success 20 years in the making, right? right? It looks like an overnight success, but he's been working quietly for 20 years to to be in a position working to achieve that success. Yeah. And then that, that opportunity came. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Thanks, Tim. Hey, we're going to end the conversation right there for today. Part two will be in the next episode coming out right after Christmas. In the meantime, I hope you have a great holiday season with your family and friends. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you coming up right after Christmas. Thanks for listening to today's Grow With Tim podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to show us some love by following us here and on our other social media platforms. You'll find all the links at growwithtim.com.